Sick Boy Wolfgang Productions presents The Offering with Jerry Horror. A deep dive into the history of film and its filmmakers. Mostly horror, always genre. 80s and 90s horror fans, it is time to rejoice. You've seen his work, you're a fan of his art, and now you can wear artist Mark Schoenbach's sadist art designs. If you're a fan of cult classic horror, you know his work. You've seen it everywhere, from the Halloween franchise to Pool Party Massacre. Whether it's at Slashback Video or Mac and Me, you will recognize his distinct style instantly. Now check out his latest stock, including R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike-inspired merchandise. Visit sadistartdesigns.com and put some respect on your swag. Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. This week on The Offering, we're talking all about the cult of A24 films. This is an episode you don't want to miss. It is completely elevated, as they say. This is Jerry Hara. This is The Offering. You're here. I'm here. You could have been anywhere in the world, but I'm really happy that you decided to take the time out. It's your time. This is your time. Kick off your shoes. Have an alcoholic adult beverage. Maybe roll a joint. Maybe, I don't know, you want to get funky. You want to start hitting some dabs to this. I mean, I don't know. You want to see your face melt off while you're listening to this record. Listen, (laughs) this is not a record. Uh, Last time I checked. Boys and girls, we are in the dog days of summer. Ooh, this is rough. And if you've ever had a, a summer in New York, you know how hot it can get. It is 90 degrees right now. Uh, the air conditioner is so loud that we have to shut it off so that we can actually record this episode properly. So if you ever want to know how much I sacrifice, I sacrifice my own comfort, the comfort of my producer, the comfort of the cat, Brooklyn, so that we can bring you these auditory adventures. Ooh, God damn. One thing I'm always excited about is in the summer, they always bring out new beverages, always bring out new and exciting stuff. Like this year, they, they have mango Pepsi. Very exciting. Uh, mixes well with Captain Morgan uh, or your favorite rum. But I was very excited because uh, we've able to get some new Mountain Dews. And I am like a sucker for this. My brother and I, it's like one of the things that we do is we get new Mountain Dews uh, whenever they come out. They've got some disgusting ones this year, too. They did for their, it's the 50th anniversary of Mountain Dew. So I, I don't know, take that as you will. Maybe have a little celebration with your family. Not sure how you do that. But it is a birthday cake flavored Mountain Dew. And I will tell you, it, it's not as disgusting as I thought it would be, but it's pretty disgusting. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> if you ever wanted to drink carbonated sugar water that tastes like party cake, it, it, God bless. But on the Baja Blast front, they brought out two new flavors. 
Uh, they've got the, the Flash and Pineapple, which actually was pretty good. Another one that would mix well. It's kind of a pineapple with coconut notes. And we went to 7-Eleven before, and Pete was able to get me the Baja Punch, which has kind of a mango flavor with cherry. It's actually one of the better Mountain Dews that I've had all year, last couple of years. Uh, yeah, this is probably not that exciting to you. <laughs> Unless you're a Mountain Dew fan, then you're, you're on the edge of your seat. You're like, Jesus Christ, this is exactly why I'm here for that hot Mountain Dew talk. There's some crazy products coming out. It recently, uh, at the time of this recording, in Kansas, Frito-Lay, same company as PepsiCo, they had a strike. Uh, the Frito-Lay company where they make all the stuff, you know, obviously Fritos and, and Cheetos and all that, those things. And these people are striking because they want better working conditions. And I agree with them. If you're in a hot factory and you're making snacks and you know, we're seeing a real change in this country as far as you've got people, you know, they're starting to stand up to their corporate overlords. And I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, it's important that you have a, a working conditions where you're able to use the bathroom. You're able to provide for your family. You can call out sick. You're comfortable you're not in 100 degree heat making flaming hot fucking Cheetos. You know, that that's a problem. So I think what it really is, is they always talk about the squeaky wheel is the one that gets greased. And it's important that you stand up for yourself, no matter what, no matter how hot it is, no matter how hard it is, you have to make sure that your voice gets heard. And that kind of brings us into the interesting part about this week's episode. We're talking all about the cult of A24 and why it is so significant that this film label, this film company, has made such a huge impact, not just in cinema, but how films are marketed and what kind of films are being sold to the general public. Because I think for a while, a lot of us got complacent and we realized, hey, you know, we're just getting some of these dumb movies. A24 said, you know what, let's make some new and exciting films for everyone to enjoy, some stuff that's going to be a little bit different. And I think that's the secret, is that you have to stand out. You got to be heard, make sure you're heard, and make sure you stand out. Because you don't want to be like everybody else. And I always give props to people who are willing to fail on their own merit. Um, it's very easy to follow the pack and do what everybody else is doing. It's very easy to do that. It's hard to take a stand and create something entirely new. And that's what A24 has done. They've created their own lane. So, for your listening pleasure, for, for your listening pleasure, the cult of A24. It's crazy to think that there was a time before A24 films. Uh, they were founded in 2012. Um, it's a New York company. It was, uh, and I'm, I'm going to screw up the pronunciation of these dudes' names, but I wanted to make sure they're out because I, I like putting respect, especially on a New York company. We're very pro-New York here. Daniel Katz and Dan David Finkel and John Hodges. Um 
These were guys that were working as production assistants. They did the right thing, went through film school, worked in the film industry, and just said, fuck it. We're putting all hands on deck. We're putting all our money into this company. And kind of the mantra there was that we want to create movies we want to see. And I think that's important, especially no matter what you're working on in the arts, is that if you see an opportunity to create your own lane and do something that's original with your own voice, and and also the secret too is giving voices to people, new creators, new directors, new writers, and they most certainly have done that. Believe it or not, the last film that A24 had in theaters was Uncut Gems, and that was in December of 2019. And as I've described before, Uncut Gems is the greatest two-hour panic attack that you've never had. Uh, It's tense. It's it's the Safdie brothers, directed by them, but Jesus Christ, man. It's like, I want to say it's like Alfred Hitchcock did a bunch of cocaine. That's exactly the vibe that uncut gems gives off. I was very upset because Adam Sandler deserved the Oscar for that movie. If if there was a time also Adam Sandler. So now we just got announced uh, as of this recording that the uncut gems film will be a part of the criterion label and punch drunk love is now a part of the criterion label and both be getting 4k discs. And that's awesome. It's crazy to think that like the guy who is Billy Madison has two really critically acclaimed films that are a part of the Criterion Collection. And uh, if you'd like to hear us cover the Criterion Collection, let me know, because I have some interesting things to say about them. But this is the A24 show. A24 is uh, put together, is actually founded on August 20th of 2012, which ostensibly would make the company uh, about nine years old now this August. Uh, And like I said, it feels like it's become such an institution. I can't imagine a time without it. Now, I want to say, let's rewind because most people didn't have their first uh, experience with A24 until March 15th, 2013. And that's when Spring Breakers comes out. Good morning, sunshine. Wakey, wakey. Shine, little bit. Where's the money? Money, money. What? You know what? All I know is I'm not going to sit here another day. Spring break. How are we going to get enough money in time? I don't know. We're the only ones still here. Spring break. Tired of seeing the same thing. Spring break. It's your chance to see something different. Spring break. Just get that cash. Pretend like it's a video game. We can do this. Spring break. Who are you? My name's Aileen. Why are you here? I saw y'all in there. They like nice people. Come on, y'all. Why acting suspicious? <laughs> I knew y'all was special from the moment I saw you. It's written on your faces. Because I just have a really, really bad feeling about this. Let's cause some trouble now. Break, break, bitches! Spring Breakers was directed by Harmony Corinne, a controversial director, director of Trash Humpers. God, I gotta love, gotta put, it's great, love Trash Humpers. Uh, Director of the classic Gummo. And for better or worse, he was kind of sidelined and marginalized uh, for many different reasons and wasn't making films. And 
we got probably one of the best James Franco performances. He absolutely steals Spring Breakers. I was sitting in a theater, and this was the night before it came out. They had an 11 o'clock screening at my local cinema, and I was very excited. There were like four or five other perverts that were in there. And as soon as the music comes on, it starts, it starts lighting up. You see kind of a dark screen, and it gets lit up with these neon kind of 80s Miami aesthetic uh, lights on the credits. You know, it's like a Harmony Corinne film. And once that music from Skrillex hits, the scary monsters, nice sprites, whatever it is, oh man, it just lit up the theater. It was, I mean, at that point, dubstep was new. Skrillex was new. And it was crazy in such a short time of that record coming out that it was like, oh my God, it's on the big screen. And here is all of this crazy spring break footage from Florida. Um, it, it, it's crazy. That movie blew me through the back of the theater. I, I was absolutely engaged. I was enraptured by it. Um, again, James Franco, he steals the film. This could be an entire episode about Spring Breakers, but it, it can't be because it's one of my favorite movies. And uh, I understand that some people don't like it. They feel that it's borderline exploitation, but I say, what isn't? Isn't Space Jam exploitation? Aren't we exploiting the star of Michael Jordan? He's not an actor. Jesus Christ. But Spring Breakers definitely sets the tone of we're doing something different and we're doing something new. Really, it was one of these situations where even A24 coming into the game, initially they were like, we're going to find movies that we like and we're going to distribute them. But it started to get to become even more than that, where it was like, now they're fully hands-on. A24 does television. A24 does video games. There is no shortage. They've got a great podcast, you know? They've got their hands in everything, so they've become this huge brand. And again, as of this recording, they recently were shopping the brand, and this was reported in Variety. Now, when something comes out in Movie Butthole, don't, you know, like moviefart.com, don't trust that news. Always trust reliable sources. I always say, you know, like Variety, go to the trades, Deadline, because if it's in the trades, it means that there's some concrete evidence to it. Uh, there's some, you know, uh, journalistic integrity, so to speak. It's kind of one of those things where once it was put out there that this company was valued A24 at 3 to $3.5 billion dollars. So in nine years, they were able to build a brand that's worth that much money. And let me be honest with you, if this information is out in the trades, it's something that they're looking to do. I mean, of course, you know, like you want to have metrics, you want to have an appraisal, like what is my brand worth at this, at this point in time? But Jesus Christ, to think that this little company that could would turn into this big $3 billion business. And to me, that's absolutely incredible. Now, their releases uh, are kind of spotty in the beginning. We've got Ginger and Rose was their next release. Uh, that was actually the, the same day as Spring Breakers. Much smaller film. Nothing really to write home about. Uh, we get Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring. 
which I enjoyed. I think the bling ring's good. I'm always down for some uh, excellent uh, adventures with our good pal Sofia Coppola. Now, they start doing some interesting films here. Um, one was kind of the art house picture, which is basically Tom Hardy in a car. That's called Lock. That comes out that same year. I mean, there's an incredible amount of films just in 2013 that come out. Like the, the first wave of uh, A24 is really quite impressive. Um, then we get to 2014 and you've got Under the Skin. You've got Obvious Child. You've got The Rover. You've got Tusk. Um, it starts getting very interesting. They start doing movies uh, like Revenge of the Green Dragons, A Most Violent Year. Okay, They're starting to pick up steam. But I think the real turning point for them comes in 2015 uh, with Ex Machina. And if you haven't seen Ex Machina, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. Um, it's a science fiction movie, but it's really a horror movie. If, if you get down to it, there's it kind of teeters on that. Yes, it's grounded in science fiction, but it's, it's a horror movie. You are dead center of the greatest scientific event in the history of man. Hello. Hi. Do you have a name? Ava. Answer me this. How do you feel about it? Her AI is beyond doubt. No, nothing analytical. Just, how do you feel? I feel that she's amazing. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible? Why would it not be? Did you know that Nathan brought me here to test you? Wrong about what? Nathan, you shouldn't trust anything he says. Does Ava actually like you? Or is she just pretending to like you? Self-awareness, manipulation, sexuality. Are you attracted to me? Now, if that isn't true AI, what is? Caleb, there's something I want to show you. Can we talk about the lies you've been spinning me? What lies? Today, I'm going to test you. Why me? Caleb, you have to help me. You. It's strange to eliminate something that hates you. What will happen to me if I fail your test? Ostensibly, Ex Machina makes everybody from Oscar Isaac, everybody who's involved with this movie, it makes them a star. But it does big business for a studio like A24, which is incredible at that point in time. It starts to set the tone of, we've got an exciting, new, interesting player in the movie landscape, and there is no signs of them slowing down. A24 becomes the tastemaker now, because as we're entering 2015, we've got Ex Machina. Um, one of the next films they pick up is Amy, which was the fantastic documentary about Amy Winehouse. And hey, look, it's it's a great documentary. It's, again, I can't recommend it enough. If you haven't seen it, it's really a beautiful love letter to Amy Winehouse and her music. And you realize just how good she was as a performer. But at this point, a24 is starting to develop a fan base of people like myself, where it's like, hey, I'll pretty much watch anything these people put out. And I can't say that about any other movie studio. 
I mean, canon? Yeah, of course. When I was a kid, any, you know, like American Ninja, Death Wish, Bloodsport, anything that canon put out, I was going to watch. Uh, trauma, when I was a kid, was a big one. Anything trauma was going to put out, I was going to watch. I still watch to this day. But there's not a lot of, like, couture boutique film labels or companies like A24 that were able to just hit it out of the park. Now, Ex Machina would make money, but they would get the glory, which would come later in October 16th of 2015 when we get room which is an incredible film um i don't know if you've seen room i I don't want to uh ruin it for anybody it's it's the movie with brie larson really brings her into the consciousness of uh mainstream audiences and it ends up winning oscars you know like they don't know that just yet but it becomes this incredibly critically acclaimed film So now it's not just, hey, these guys are making interesting movies. Now they're making movies that are critical darlings. Uh, Ex Machina was incredibly well-received. You know, it was very favorably received by the general public, but also more so by critics. Critics really liked uh, those films. Now, the cachet of A24, really what does it for them is horror. And the first foray into horror for them, again, it's, I mean, Spring Breakers is kind of a horror movie too. It's always teetering on that line. But in February of 2016, they put out The Witch. And The Witch is an absolute game changer. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. this family. Uh, It's a scary movie. Uh, It was a movie that I watched um, on Mushrooms, which I probably shouldn't have. I was terrified. I was... I think at certain points I was just hiding under my hoodie. I, I was really scared by the witch. It really freaked me out. And it kind of changes the game for them because it ends up being one of these movies where um, 
yeah, it's this small kind of art house movie that's a period piece, but it ends up becoming a word of mouth movie. And each week it just starts banging at the box office. It's making more and more money. And I think the model for a lot of these movies were like small budget, micro budget, you know, under $10 million. And we're going to put out 20 movies a year. Some will hit, some won't. But they're just on a roll now where it's becoming every two or three months they're putting out a movie that's a banger. And The Witch also kind of turns the head of a lot of the horror crowd. And they start paying attention to this. Journalists and fans even more so. Where they're like, oh, they're doing something different. Now, The Witch is the first time where you have a movie that is able to play to audiences in the Midwest and it's able to play to late night audiences of stoners and kids and, you know, pieces of shit like myself. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the demographic and I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm not going to undervalue myself that much. But man, The Witch just really changed the game for A24. And I mean, obviously, Room, now they've, they've got the cachet where they're like, we can find the most interesting talent and give them money. And it, there's no signs of stopping at this point. Uh, right after that, and again, this is another one. Is it, is it a horror film? Well, it's a horror film. It's an action film. It's green Room. You can't keep us here. You gotta let us go. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. We're so fucking dead, guys. What do we do? Oh, shit. This will be over soon, gentlemen. What are they doing? They're coming. We gotta go. And we die. How long can we wait? We're sure that is. Is that a pep talk? Just grab some shit, get ready to run. Here we go. Careful now. Green Room was, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you got Patrick Stewart as bad guy, which I think we always wanted to see. We always wanted to see uh, Patrick Stewart as a bad guy. But it's a very simple film. You know, you got these young kids. Uh, they're in a band. And... They end up going to this place that is pretty much run by white supremacists. And uh, I, I hate to say it, but this movie now is even more important than ever because it's more realistic. You know, you could see these kids going somewhere. Uh, this film, really the star of it was uh, Anton Yelkin. And uh, it's, it's sad. We miss him. He was, he was really a great actor. And uh, this movie takes place in 2014. Portland, Oregon. Um, it, it's really about this band going to this venue and they get trapped with a bunch of white supremacists. And it's it's a thriller. It's a horror movie. It's scary. Um, it's also starting to change the perception of what horror can be. Because now um, you've got The Witch, you've got Ex Machina, you've got The Green Room, 
And now it's like, oh, well, horror can be more than just a ghost or a guy in a mask. It, it can be something bigger and broader than that. And that's where I think, to me, that it, it gets really exciting. They do the Adderall Diaries. The Adderall Diaries was this film supposed to take off. Really kind of never did. They did Lobster. I enjoy the Lobster. It's a weird, weird movie. Not for everybody. But then again... Uh, you know, they, they hit it out of the park with Moonlight. Moonlight comes out in October of 2016 and just like Room wins a ton of Academy Awards, ton of praise. Uh, Moonlight becomes one of their highest grossing movies because a lot of people saw Moonlight. It drew people to movie theaters, which is incredibly exciting because, you know, it's a story of young African-Americans dealing with their sexuality dealing with a lot of the problems in the African-American community that we don't talk about. And that's kind of exciting that that movie becomes one of the highest grossing movies for them. And, and even of the year, you know, it's different topical subject matter that we don't expect to become a blockbuster picture, but it does. What we learn is that A24 is fostering a very positive and exciting environment, especially for directors, writers, and producers, by putting this talent at the forefront of the game. Um, it, it's just incredible. Uh, one after the other, you, you end up getting Swiss Army Man, which is a weird, weird movie. Uh, that's directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schoenert, um, and that was their respective feature film debut. Um, they're really putting these directors at the forefront where, it, as we talked about in the 90s, you had Miramax, where you had your Tarantinos, you had Kevin Smith, you had Robert Rodriguez. So now they're fostering a whole new generation of uh, super directors. Even if we go back, um, you know, The Room, Lenny Abramson, you know, one after the other, all these directors are starting to get their voice. Uh, ooh, The Witch, Robert Eggers. There you go. There's a star is born right there. That's pretty interesting. These movies are not only just good movies, they're making money. And that's even more important than anything. Because at the end of the day, that's what people are looking at. They're saying, you know... Okay, well, it's a critically acclaimed film, but it also was able to generate a profit. And ultimately, that's the name of the game, especially in the arts. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters that what you're doing is making money. We see films like American Honey, um, The Monster, 20th Century Women, Trespass Against Us, The Black Code's Daughter, Free Fire, The Lovers... The exception, it comes at night. Again, in that horror cycle, it's an American psychological horror film. It's directed by uh, Trey Edward Schultz. And uh, that's the film with Joel Edgerton. I didn't like it very much. Not one of my favorite films. It was, uh, it's a psychological thriller, but they tried to sell it and advertise it as a horror film. And I think that was a little bit detrimental to the end result and product. But you know what? It's like number 10 on their highest grossing films. So that's definitely a good look. People are going to see these films. Um, 
we get, ooh, another favorite of mine. And Jesus, this film is already, uh, <laughs> this film is already four years old. We get Good Times, which is, again, we talked about Josh and Benny Safdie. These are other guys. They did the uh, Uncut Gems. Those are, they've, you know, like those guys right now, like the Safdie brothers, I'll watch anything they put out. I, I don't care. They could say, oh, this, this is our home movie of us doing laundry. I'll watch it. I don't care because I find them to be exciting and engaging new voices in cinema. And that becomes what ends up happening. Uh, we have the Florida Project. And I always like to champion the, the Florida Project. It's kind of a slice of life genre film. Uh, it's directed by Sean Baker. It's made all on location in Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, don't forget, we've always got the excellent William Defoe playing a very nice role in this film. Um, he's not playing a bad guy. He's not playing some psychopathic wacko. He's just playing a nice guy who runs a motel. And, and it's kind of nice. But uh, the Florida project was largely shot on an iPhone and partly on an iPad. And it was shown in theaters all over the world. And that means that if they can do it, you can do it. And that is exactly what the goal of A24 is to fostering this new and exciting talent. Uh, another psychological film that would come out, I guess you call this one a psychological thriller. Uh, I like this film a lot. It's The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, that is directed by Yorgos Lathinimos. Uh, this film, ooh, Jesus. You got everybody in this film. You got Colin Farrell. You got Alicia Silverstone. You got Nicole Kidman. Um, this is basically, it's about a cardiac surgeon who secretly befriends a teenage boy with a connection to his past. I really don't want to give away much with this film because the more you give away, it kind of unravels the plot. Uh, it's one of those tight little barn burners that you watch and it slowly unravels in front of you and you're like, oh, wow, I like this. This is different. Uh, now, we're just into the 2017 uh, release date and now they're getting to a point where they realize that they're cooking with gas. So they're putting films out heavy in the fourth quarter, which means that they're putting films out that they feel should be in contention for Oscars, Golden Globes, film awards. Uh, we get 2017 in November, we get Lady Bird, which is directed by one of their big stars, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, um, who would become a huge star for the company. Um, Later that that year, because <laughs> November 3rd is Lady Bird, and then right out the gate, we have The Disaster Artist, and Love Him or Hate Him, uh, that was directed by James Franco. I think The Disaster Artist is a fantastic film. It's a, a very good cautionary tale for anybody who is working in cinema. I think uh, the tale of James Franco is a very good cautionary tale for a lot of you young men out there working in cinema. You know, you, you fuck around and find out. Um, we don't talk about it. I think James Franco is hugely talented. I think he's a great actor. I think he's, he's a great writer. He's a great director. But he did some bad things. And, uh, you know, it becomes cancel culture has become a part of pop culture. Um, I believe that people do need to make reparations and they need to be punished for their actions. I think it's always a little bit harder when that person um, is someone that we've connected to. 
whether it's music, whether it's movies, it's a little hard, harder for us to accept because we've allowed that person into our, our subconscious and we've allowed that person into our heart and we put them on a pedestal that we wouldn't put other people on. When you get told that some dude did something bad, you don't really know him. You're like, oh yeah, fuck that guy, punish him. Now, when it's a director you like, or it's a, a musician you like, it's a little bit different because you're like, ooh, you know, you don't know how to feel at first. But ultimately, I think that uh, James Franco needs to let sleeping dogs lie, apologize for his actions, and hopefully grow as a person and, and move forward. Because at a certain point, he was a very exciting new voice that we had. You know, he kicked off this whole company by being in Spring Breakers and now at the, at the height of his career, directed a movie that was going to get nominated for Oscars and Golden Globes. But unfortunately, it just didn't work out. We'll be right back with more of The Offering with Jerry Horror. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Horror. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. A film that often doesn't get talked about but that I absolutely love, uh, The Last Movie Star. This is directed by uh, Adam Rifkin. I, I love this movie. It's about Burt Reynolds. Got good old Chevy Chase in there. And uh, speaking of Hollywood monsters. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the, the last movie star is a movie that was largely underseen by the public. It's a really good movie um, because it's not just about dealing with fame. It's also about dealing with your legacy your life, how you'll be remembered. A lot of it is dealing with your own mortality. And that's something that we often don't talk about or that isn't really um, perceived uh, by most people. They don't really... It, look, if you got a movie that's about a bunch of hot girls robbing a bank, that's easier to sell than an 80-something-year-old man dealing with what mistakes he's made over the course of a lifetime. It's not always the easiest way. But I feel that the last movie star was very maligned in its marketing. It wasn't marketed correctly. And I think had it been, that would have been a great little last run for Burt Reynolds. Probably would have gotten him some nominations that he didn't get. So with that, it's March 30th of 2018. We've got more and more movies. They keep coming out, but let's get to the Game Changers. And the Game Changers on June 8th, 2018, when a little film, a supernatural horror film called Hereditary Drops. Come on, Peter. Yes, you're suing. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. 
Since Grandma, you know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God! What's that? She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. She wasn't altogether there at the end. Mom? I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Pina! Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Raise your Mom, what's happening? Stop. This is Ari Aster in his uh, first feature film debut. You got Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne. Hereditary was another movie that I saw it in theaters and it just blew me through the fucking back of the theater. And I was like, oh my God, this is what a nightmare feels like. This this is, is just, uh, it's, he's doing things on a visual level that Wes Anderson does. He's doing things in a narrative level that Quentin Tarantino does. You've got all of these influences that Ari Aster is wearing on his sleeve. And you're like, holy shit, when it all comes together, this is an absolutely terrifying movie. Now with this comes the term elevated horror. And that has become, um, somewhat of a dirty word. I think for a while in the last five years or so, elevated horror has become a part of the conversation. And what it comes down to is um, people think that, oh, it's, you know, it's art house people looking down on rubbery monsters. No, it, it's not. It's just bringing a new type of horror into the mainstream. And I think that that's important. I think it's important within genres that you grow and you push the boundaries of, of what you can do. And to be perfectly honest with you in the last five years, uh, horror has been very stale. It has. So whenever you get a new and exciting voice that has a different approach to the material, I mean, come on, how, how, how could it not happen? Hereditary, again, uh, it's on that top 10 list of the top highest grossing movies for A24. So this is a real breakthrough because if I go through all of these films, like I said, they're making close to 20 films a year and we know not all of them are going to hit, but God damn, the ones that do hit, they hit hard. Um, another film that I really like comes out and this, this was a movie that kind of got uh, slept on as well. 2017 uh, written and directed by Elijah Bonham. Hot Summer Nights, starring Timothy Chalamet. I can never say his name. I think it's Timothy Chalamet. Micah Monroe is in this from the fantastic film It Follows. Um, this is a great movie. It takes place on some hot summer nights in 1991. It's got a great soundtrack. I was growing up at that time. 
So people were playing Street Fighter 2 in the arcade and, and watching uh, Terminator 2 with the drive-in. So it's a very, very earnest coming-of-age story uh, that I could relate to because it takes place in Summertown from Long Island. I understand about tourists coming and, <laughs> and all that stuff and being in a coastal uh, town. Very relatable. But I do think as the star of Timothy Chalamet grows and continues, I think this is a movie, Hot Summer Nights, that people will be going back to and saying, damn, this is a really good movie. I enjoy it. Uh, if there's anything you take away from this episode, please go, go rent Hot Summer Nights. I think you'll like it more than you realize. It's not just for your horny grandma. Um, there, <laughs> there are some movies that were... were uh, Missteps. It's a movie that I don't like. Directed by uh, Austin Vesely, Slice, which was a 2018 American horror comedy. A lot of people that I love in this movie. You got Hannibal Buress. Uh, you've got Chris Parnell, Paul Shear. Fantastic uh, supporting cast, and of course, um, got Zazie Beetz. It's one of the lead roles, and we got Chance the Rapper. And at that point, Chance the Rapper was very hot. Zazie Beats was very hot. You got this fantastic supporting cast. Um, I wanted to love this film because of everybody that was involved, but ultimately it just didn't do anything for me. Sorry, folks. I, you know, like I would like to sit on this podcast and I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I really enjoyed these films. Look, sometimes you're not going to like them. And, and that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to love a movie. It's okay not to like a movie. Uh, one, one film that we got blindsided by in 2018. And again, God damn, 2018 is just some year for A24. Uh, mid nineties written and directed by one Jonah Hill. Didn't see that coming. Did you? Huh? Uh, mid nineties, another coming of age story. Uh, I grew up in the mid nineties. <laughs> so I can tell you I was there. And I will confirm and certify that this film is very true and authentic to its time period. Um, another film that gets a ton of acclaim and deserves it. Mid-90s, no one saw it coming. Jonah Hill, far more talented than you or any of your dumb, creepy little friends had supposed. You're like, oh, I love Jonah Hill. I love 21 and 22 Jump Street. He's, my, he's the best, my favorite. And then he makes this great indie movie. That just blows you out of the water. Uh, a movie, that, another movie that I think got slept on, The Hole in the Ground. It's a supernatural horror film directed by Lee Cronin in his feature film debut. And you're going to see Lee go on to some very interesting things in the same way that Ari Aster was. Uh, this is just a, a creepy kid movie. It's one of these movies where it's set in the Irish countryside and there's a big hole in the ground. What's going on with that big hole in the ground? Come on, man. That's, I like shit like that. I like movies, you know, I like truth in advertising. The movie's called The Hole in the Ground, and you got a big hole in the ground. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you went to go see the movie and there was no hole in the ground, like, what the fuck are we doing here? Why are we even here? Why is it called The Hole in the Ground? It's truth in advertising, folks. Uh, you, you, you get exactly what the poster, you get a creepy little kid, you get a big hole in the ground. It works. Lee Cronin is going to go on to do great things. Uh, he's just, again, a director, I think that everybody slept on. Have you seen Climax? Holy shit. It's another psychological thriller. Um, 
that was directed, written, and co-edited by Gaspar Noé. And it is, woo, Climax is a rough movie. I mean, a lot of crazy shit happens. And uh, I, I don't want to give it away. Um, it's an ensemble cast of 24 people. It's a French uh, dance troupe. And there's all this crazy music and choreography. And then it just swerves right. Don't want to give it away and turns into a fucking creepy, brutal horror movie. Um, everybody, uh, they consume some uh, sangria that is loaded with LSD. So uh, if you're going to be doing hallucinogenics, this is not the movie to do it to. Or maybe it is. I don't know how you get down. I don't know. I mean, maybe you're in that shit, you know? Who the fuck knows? But Climax was another movie that I saw in theaters, and I had, I was aware of Gaspar Noe's uh, pedigree, and I was just like, Jesus, this is, a, this is a rough movie. I can't recommend it to everybody, but artistically it has its its own vibe and it is what it is uh it's a creepy movie i'm also starting to realize just by reading this list how many fucking movies i saw in the theaters i i am an avid film goer and that's why it it was kind of sad you know that the last a24 film that we got in theaters was in december of 2019 was uncut gems and at the time of this recording it's the middle of the summer it's 2021 Ooh, boy, am I craving a good A24 picture right about now. But we'll get there. Uh, next up, we've got the High Life. Next month, like we just had Gaspar Noy's uh, Climax, and now it's a month later. Uh, we've got High Life, which is a science fiction horror film directed by Claire Denis. Uh, this is her English language debut. Uh, this is a fantastic film. It's really out there. Uh, it's about a physicist. It has to do with black holes. Uh, it's a really weird movie. It's kind of even hard to describe, but I definitely think it's worth your time. You should see it. The most slept on on this list. Now, I'm going to say it. The most slept on, and this is another movie, along with Hot Summer Nights, that you should go and watch, Under the Silver Lake. Now, they always talk about the sophomore slump, you know, uh, This was written, produced, and directed by David Robert Mitchell, who had directed It Follows. And we were all waiting for that big second film. And we kind of didn't get it because we thought that this guy would stay within the genre. It's a neo-noir black comedy, also kind of a thriller. Uh, It stars Andrew Garfield. And this film really works. It's weird. He stumbles upon a big conspiracy that's been going on. Uh, in Los Angeles for a long time. And this film was completely polarized cl- critics because some people loved it and other people hated it. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to make movies like that because you're going to fall into one of the two. So if you despise it, you despise it. You never have to watch it again. But if you love it, well, then you're the real winner. Uh, Under the Silver Lake is a sublime film. It is a weird film. It's out there, but I dig it. I bought it on Blu-ray. I think it's a great movie. Um, I think in years to come, you're going to see this film become even bigger than, uh, because it kind of, okay, they put it out in theaters, but it absolutely tanked. And the way that I saw it was I bought the Blu-ray. It was one of these films that they 
really didn't believe in because it was so polarizing. When it debuted in Cannes, people were like, some people walked out of it, some people loved it. It was just one of these movies where they were like, I don't know about this. But it was like the first big film that Andrew Garfield had done after his turn as Peter Parker, you might know as the spectacular Spider-Man. Ooh. July 3rd, 2019, we get the sophomore film from Ari Aster, Midsummer. It is what it is listed as a folk horror. <laughs> I love these little these little surtitles and subgenres that we put things in. This is more elevated horror. I saw this in a theater. Um, it was it's an amazing film. You need to see it. If you can, get out there. Get that uh, 4K director's cut. Definitely worth your time. Um, this is one of their top five highest grossing movies because a ton of people saw it. After the buzz of Hereditary, people were, were most definitely going to be checking for this dude's second film. Um, it's, it's kind of, again, it's about a bunch of young people from the United States. They go to Sweden and uh, they find some interesting things <laughs> and they have some, uh, some adventures. I think the less said, the better. I am not the type of person that likes to give away things. I want you to go into these films because some of, some of these films you've seen and you're like, oh, this guy's full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And some people are like, yeah, I love Hot Summer Nights. Jerry's the best. But some of you need to see Midsummer. You didn't see it. No, I'm going to tell you, you need to. It's good. It fucking challenges you. It's not like a lot of this bullshit that's getting made now. We just we just got the, the other day Space Jam, a new legacy drop. It's intellectual property, the movie. It's everything that's wrong with film, okay? Like, I get it. You grew up, you love Michael Jordan, you love Bugs Bunny. Well, I got news for you. From what I heard, the Looney Tunes take a backseat to every other intellectual property including Pennywise from It. Because, yeah, he needed to be in this movie. I think that kind of says it all. Midsummer's a fantastic film. Uh, continuing with the tradition of elevated horror. Again, it's a term that is really polarizing with people. They say, eh, it's, it's highbrow bullshit. I don't know. I don't think it is. I, I think it's just within the marketing. I think that Hereditary and Midsummer were not marketed like traditional horror films. And that's the big difference. Um, when you're being sold products over and over again, like I love these new Halloween films, but there's a way that you sell them. They're, they're, you know, it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And traditionally, there is just, um, it's part of the, the au revoir, as they say. You know, you, you, you're being sold a product. It's being listed on the menu in a certain way. And that's fine. But I think a lot of these films from A24, and that's the other thing, we're calling them films, calling them cinema. That's exciting. Um, the difference between a movie, a movie has been made to entertain you and make some money. A film is someone who's making a movie because it's personal to them and they're trying to communicate and show you something different. And that's the difference when you go from, you know, it's why uh, the American independent cinema has survived this long. And I think it's great because movies like this that A24 produced, they've brought people into, 
you know, like they're, they're addicted now. And I can't say that about any other. I don't think there's many other or any other studios where it's like you see that A24 logo and you're like, oh, wow, I have to go run out and see that because you know that they've put out quality films that you enjoy. Uh, we have another big one. This made a ton of money. Um, this is Robert Eggers again. Uh, the Lighthouse, which has Robert Pattinson, obviously post the Twilight movies, and William Defoe post Green Goblin. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man, starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Why just spill your beans? This is a fantastic film. It was shot in black and white. It has a nearly square 119.1 aspect ratio, which you don't see a lot of films shot in. This is a gothic psychological horror film, but it's done differently. So this is a little bit more of where we keep getting that elevated horror thing. And it's just different. It's not what you're traditionally used to. You know, it's a different movie. And that's okay. Uh, it premiered at the 72nd Con Film Festival in 2019. And it was theatrically released uh, October 18th of 2019. This was another movie that I saw in theaters and I didn't know what to expect. Generally, if there's something that I really want to see, I don't read about it. I try to stay as far away from spoilers or anything. I want to be shocked. And I, I absolutely love The Lighthouse. It is, uh, it is a weird and funky film, and I think that is very much credited to Robert Eggers. You don't see a lot of films. You, people talk a lot of shit with these movies, but this is very much inspired, especially when we talk about gothic horror, by Edgar Allan Poe. And people might say they're influenced by that, and that's great, but you don't really see that in the finished product. But I could see Edgar Allan Poe watching this movie now and being like, hey, this is a good movie. I enjoy this movie. That's good. You know, I'm kind of glad about that. Uh, we got a lot of interesting films from A24. Uh, now we're getting up to 2019, which is kind of the cutoff for all of this because of uh, the pandemic and everything going on. That's Uncut Gems, which 
to me, in my mind, Uncut Gems is a bit of a horror movie. It's a psychological thriller. And I think that there's something really scary. I mean, if you've ever owed money to some scary Jewish Shylocks in New York, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you don't. And fuck you. I don't care. That's fine. I made a crazy risk to gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you serious? You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. This is me. This is how I win. Little, game night, you should be stretching out. Yeah, what is he, a coach? Nah, he's just a fucking crazy ass Jew. We're finally getting a lot of these movies. In the pandemic, we got another one. And this was a really cool movie. It's a brutal movie. It's a psychological horror film. Uh, it ended up getting like dumped out on Paramount Plus and Amazon, which was St. Maud. It's a 2019 British psychological horror film written and directed by Rose Glass. Uh, this is a woman, a young woman who works as a hospice worker, which is, is tough to do. And again, this is tough material to deal with. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of Catholicism. You're dealing with, obviously, death in a frank and honest nature. So it's, it's sad that this movie kind of got dumped out. But at this point, we have been living through this pandemic People were not able to go to theaters, so we needed some kind of a delivery method for these films. And the only way that we were going to get them was to put them on streaming. Uh, Saint Maud is a, it's a great film. It is you got to be in a certain headspace. It's gonna it's gonna fuck you up. It, it's a rough movie, but it's definitely well worth um, taking that journey. Because sometimes when you watch these things that are horrible, they become very life-affirming. And I know that sounds terrible, but you watch it and you're like, hey, I got it pretty good. I got my Baja Blast. I got my friend Pete here. Things are pretty good. I wanted to see Zola. I haven't seen it yet because it was very important that I go back to the theater and see Fast 9. Because family. And family, family, family. Uh, Zola is a 2020 American black comedy. It was based on the viral Twitter thread by Isaiah Zola King and the resulting Rolling Stone article, Zola Tells All, the real story behind the greatest stripper saga ever tweeted. And it, I've read the tweets. I read the article. I, I want to check out Zola. It's an incredibly interesting story. Uh, unfortunately, though, I had to see Fast 9 because I had to know what, what happens with my Fast family. 
you know? So, yeah, I'm the bad guy. I am. I'm the asshole. I'm the guy telling you, oh, you got to support independent cinema and voices. But what did I do? I'm a scumbag. I went and I fucking saw the $200 million Vin Diesel movie. But you know what? Sometimes you need the $200 million. (laughs) There's a time and a place in your life for the big budget Vin Diesel film. I never thought I would be saying that, but I am. Which brings us to July 30th, 2021. Oh, yeah. It's about to go down. I've been waiting for this film. It seems uh, like a lifetime. The Green Knight, which uh, is basically an epic medieval fantasy film, has elements of horror, as I've heard. The cast is just phenomenal. You got uh, in the lead, Dev Patel, uh, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of people in this movie. Uh, it's based on the poem of Sir Guan and the Green Knight. Uh, this is basically, it's based on the Arthur, <laughs> I can't even say that, Arthurian, Arthurian, le- I, it's King Arthur, Arthurian legend of the Green Knight. It tells the story of uh, Sir Gwain. I can't, see, I can't say some of this stuff. You know what it is? I mean, you people, you got to accept that I was raised by a father who was from fucking Newark and a mother who was from Brooklyn and that as sometimes even though I speak very eloquently, you know that the real me, because that's real me, like the weekend. Uh, no, that's just the way that I talk. Sometimes I can't say things, and that's okay. I've learned to accept it, and so should you. Uh, King Arthur's headstrong nephew, who embarks on a quest to confront the, the Green Knight, which is a gigantic tree-like creature. This movie sounds all kinds of awesome. I can't wait to see it and then completely ignore it because of some other Vin Diesel. No. Um, The Green Knight. This is exciting. Like I said, this is the first film that we're going to be able to see in theaters since Uncut Gems. And that is a very exciting uh, prospect. It means that we're moving forward. We're getting past this pandemic. We're going to get to see some new and interesting cinema. Um, I think that A24 is in very is I think A24 is very important to film in general because hopefully it's added some new flavors to the general movie going audience maybe they didn't know what curry was before maybe they've never had sautéed garlic but now they have and now that you've given uh cinema goers a taste for that it's a very exciting time because Once you give people a taste of something different, they're going to crave it and they're going to want to put it as a part of their regular diet. And I think that cinema is very much that way. It's okay. It's fun to load up on junk food. You know, you want to watch Toxic Avenger all the time. That's great. Is it healthy? No, it's because it would be the equivalent of, you know, eating a nerd's rope for dinner every night. And as delicious as that might be, it's, it's not good for you. And I think uh, if you think of cinema as a balanced diet, you need some different things in your diet. You need to mix it up. And I think that's what's the takeaway for me for A24. They've done a lot of stuff. I mean, they also, um, in 2020, they they dominated with Minari. Uh, if you didn't see Minari, what a fantastic film. Uh, you know, it's an American drama. It's about a Korean family who make it to the United States in the 1980s. And it's a fantastic film. It really is. It's a very important film. 
and, and it got a lot of praise and a lot a lot of awards. It did very. It just you know you don't expect that, but it's crazy because even though they're this family from Korea, I think anybody and everybody can relate to it. If you grew up in the 1980s, it's it's pretty much you know. And there's some Mountain Dew in that movie too. If you haven't seen it, there's a big subplot with Mountain Dew and how important it is. <laughs> They've done a lot of films. I mean, this this is, you know, this is like damn near a hundred movies in, in in less than nine years, and they've done so many TV shows. They it's incredible. I, I mean, the output of A twenty four just in the last five years alone, the last five years. I mean, look at all these movies. Whether it's Moonlight, The Lighthouse. Very different films all across the spectrum. You know, you think about like Zola and you think about The Green Knight. You know, all these movies that they've made have really unique and authentic voices. So, brings us to the conclusion of all of this, ladies and gentlemen. The cult of A24. Why is there a cult? And the reason why there's a cult is because it's richly deserved. It's very obvious. When you put out this much quality stuff, you're going to have a cult. And they've earned it. They've earned it by every movie they've put out. They've given so many people that would have been marginalized or not able to tell their story within the cinematic landscape in the last decade. And they've been able to do that. You think about these movies, all of them. Just, I mean, goddamn, now you know why this brand is worth $3 billion. Um, I can't think of, again, the only other one would have been Miramax, who hit, you know, like as a boutique studio that was able to make genre films, make drama, um, elevated horror, whatever you want to call it. They've done all these different types of genres. And there's a good reason why they have a cult. And the reason they have a cult is because they made good movies. And just like they said in Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come and they have. Except for me, I didn't see Zola because I needed to see a bunch of people who might or might not have superhuman powers drive cars and basically avoid death at every turn. I don't know what the truth of the matter of that is. I do know that a, a probably a far more enriching experience would have been to see Zola, but I, I made a bad decision, and I, and I saw Vin Diesel, and I really didn't like Fast 9. I'm sorry. It's just the way that it is. I really enjoy those other movies. But you can avoid that decision. Don't go see Space Jam. Go see The Green Knight. This is your opportunity to avoid my failures and, and go support movies that are actually real movies. And that's exciting. I'm excited to see what A24 has to bring in the next nine years. You know, they've given so many people voices. And I know, like, even now Ari Aster, he just, he's producing a horror movie independently for another person under the label. And that's the greatest gift you can give. When you become a big enough artist that you can support and foster other people's visions, that, that's a beautiful thing because then you're giving back to the medium that made you so successful. And I hope that you're successful. 
and no matter what you try to do. And as I always say, thank you for listening to the offering. My name is Jerry Hara, and if you don't have something that's worth dreaming about, don't even bother going to sleep. Hope to see you soon. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And I probably screwed up my own last line. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or a story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer. I'm Tom. My partner Mike and I have been friends and co-workers for a long time. And at work, we're known for our daily water cooler conversations about TV shows and movies we are currently watching. Whether we're arguing over which Marvel TV show is the best or agreeing about which Netflix original movie is the worst, the pop culture conversation is always popping on Two Brothers at a Water Cooler. You can listen to Two Brothers at a Water Cooler on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe and share today. This has been a Sick Boy Wolfgang production. Thank you for listening.